Hello, and welcome to Unsheathed with your hosts, Kyle Gold and Cam Hirosaki. We hope that you enjoy the program. Please stick around afterwards. There'll be cake and blowjobs. Hi, welcome to Unsheathed number 46. <laughs> Yay, we started I'm episode flustered with Kyle Gold. <laughs> and I am perfectly stable and composed, Cam Hirosaki. Liar. Milestone. <laughs> Mark it down, I, folks. Episode forty six. I, I started to I started to introduce the podcast and looked over and my co host is throwing his head back in peals of silent laughter and I didn't understand why, so that's what got me all sort of. Now amused. you know what it's like to live my life where you call Oh honey, I don't even know the half of it. <laughs> you wait. <laughs> um We are we're coming back at you from our reclaimed studio bunker and the middle of sunny California, enjoying our <laughs> summer, as we hope you all are. Yes. Hope In lieu of wine today, I have delicious K-Tech brand uh, cherry-infused vodka. K-Tech promised us all frozen slushy drinks, but unfortunately we ran out of time before the podcast because we were running into technical difficulties with one of our hopeful future guests and we ended up having to reschedule, so we're just doing a normal podcast this week. Now we're teasing you by not saying who it is. No, it's a matter of suspense. So you'll have to tune into episode 47 to find out. Uh, so I have my Coke Zero and we will be doing our... That's the magical Star Trek number. 47? Yes. Why? It just is. It just became like they would stick 47s in all the time. Okay. Yeah. Um, well, we're right now on 46 which, as far as I know, is not a magical number, except in that it's 2 times 23, which was the Illuminati's magical number. Yes. Hail Eris. Hail Eris. All here, Discordia. <laughs> which was the title of a song, but anyway. Uh, I've been spending the summer working on a lot of short projects. I've written a couple con book stories. I'm currently working on a couple short stories that I don't know what's going to happen with them. One of them is prep for a novel that I, my next novel project because I was going to start the novel and then I decided I wanted to learn a little more about some of the characters so I'm writing a little short story first and a bunch of people are still reading out of position and hopefully within the next couple of weeks I will have some feedback on it so far Hirosaki-san has told me that it is enjoyable yes he said it is fanfic inspirational <laughs> it certainly is and now that I'm drinking vodka, you make me want to use all the dirty Russian words you taught me. <laughs> <laughs> Don't drink too much vodka. You slam into your mic stand again. Oh. <laughs> um, so that's that's kind of what I've been up to. I'm excited about going down to Comic-Con next week. And we'll meet people at the booth and I'll do some sign-ins and stuff. Some of the people in the Outer Alliance, which is a group of science fiction and fantasy queer writers are going to be down at comic-con too so hopefully we'll get to chat with some of them outside the fandom as it were they're not of the hobby yes they're not of the hobby and what have you been busy in your little otter tale with well let's see um i posted a new short story a little while ago that got some really good buzz and feedback on the internet so thank you all who read that and responded on that i was really glad to see it went over well once again it was my attempt to write a short sexy story that instead turned into something plotting and you know psychological, psychological. And, yeah. yeah uh like i do 
Uh, earlier today, I was plugging away again at the secret project. Dun dun dun. Which uh, people are still trying to catch me and trip me up into revealing what that is, but it's not going to happen because I'm too smart. <laughs> <laughs> uh, also. Uh, I'm about to start work on Summerhill again. Uh, actually, by the time this episode is out, I will probably have already posted uh, a new uh, journal entry about my process on that. But I am uh, going to be beginning the editing and redrafting process. And uh, I just want to say I count myself lucky that I've got you know a workshop full of people who uh, aren't just coddling me. And uh, I've gotten some very, very good advice. And uh, it's still the weirdest thing I've ever written. And uh, but it's oh yeah, well, it's it hasn't f- gotten less weird. No, no. If anything, it's got weirder. Um, but I really hope that people like it when it's done someday. I don't know how many times I'm going to have to go through and write it again, but I'll keep doing it until I get it right. Oh, and one other little bit of news. Um, we will be at Rocky Mountain FurCon. Yes. Yes, we will. And it looks like we may be able to do a live show from there. Kit's looking at me like, we haven't talked about this. Ha ha. But. Surprise, it's early Christmas, Kit. <laughs> Surprise, we have to lug heavy recording equipment out to Denver. And you get to do work on vacation. Yay. Uh, of course, we haven't discussed that with the convention either, so we may have to do a stealth recording. I say we could always form our own convention like we did in Chicago. That's true. I don't know what we would call it though, but we can we can work on the name for that. We don't Denfercon, yeah, Denfercon. I, I think I have too much respect for myself. Wait, no, that's not true. <laughs> <laughs> not in the realm of convention naming. So anyway, we're looking forward. At least we will be at Rocky Mountain Furcon, and. We will look forward to seeing a bunch of our fans there. I already know that a few people are showing up. Yeah, I was surprised at how many people I know who are going. Yeah, that's going to be fun. We're going to have a good time out in out in the Rockies, even though they moved the convention from the lovely 16th Street Mall out to the suburbs. But uh, did they? Yeah, everyone was telling me how awesome it was. It was like right across the street from a mall, and I was all excited about that. Yeah, no, sorry. Now it's right down the street from a bunch of strip malls with. Um, Panera Breads and Sonic drive-ins, and although there is a Sonic, so I don't think I've ever eaten Sonic. Yeah, well, you know the commercials are actually more exciting than the food. Uh, well, there you go. I mean, there was the one in Dallas, but it was right next to a Waffle House, and I had to go to Waffle House. I, I've still not been to a Waffle House, but that's because Kit won't allow it. Really, the, whatever you imagine a trip to Waffle House being is what it is i guarantee it like i you would think i would have gone there once during my you know high school and college years but somehow it just never happened yeah like i i ate at waffle house and i left i was like wow that was exactly what i thought waffle house would be like i'm a friend who thought waffle house was completely awesome because he got like a whole meal for five bucks i was like but you're eating at waffle house (laughs) the joke's on you but it was a huge meal i'm like yeah well anyway we will That's like uh, saying you can get a whole bottle of Arbor Mist for three dollars. <laughs> night train. <laughs> oh, um, what's yes. the word? Uh, sadly, um, sadly, that also means that Rocky Mountain Furcon is no longer within walking distance of Chick Fil A. I like my Jesus chicken. Yes, so do I. But it is within driving distance, so we're going to have to see if we can't do a Chick Fil A run at one point. 
And they also have a chain out there called Spicy Pickle, which is all about the food when we go somewhere. Just, you know, I think you're just all about the food, period. Yeah, that's Anyone who's true. read your books can not deny that. Yeah. There was a there were a couple people who were trying to put together a recipe book based on the food in Vol and all the Argea books. And that keeps sort of sporadically jumping ahead a little bit, and then they get busy with other stuff, and I'm not motivated to whip them in the shape. Yeah, so... See, whereas I cool. try to not describe food as much as possible to ignore the question of what it is these critters are eating. Wow. I am I am eschewing the quandary. I figure if you don't describe it, then you leave it up to your listener's imagination, and I would rather not do that. As opposed to all the webcomics where it's just imply that they like to eat other furries, which is like, what? Uh, that was one thing about Kevin and Cal. It always kind of made yeah. me pause. Sur- and, Suburban Jungle had it, too. Did it? Yeah. I never read that as much, but... yeah. Yeah, it was kind of like, hey, we're living next door to you, but if you let your guard down, we'll have you for dinner one day. Yeah, it's just like, why would this be a social convention? Oh, yeah. it wouldn't. Yeah. <laughs> it would be more, it's more like if you had the, everyone turns into furries virus and the carnivores just can't restrain themselves. But even then, they'd be kind of, they'd be locked, you'd have carnivore cities and herbivore cities and there would be fights. It'd be like alien versus predator. Right. Except it'd be more like predator versus toothless alien that eats grass. Well, somebody threw the short end of the straw stick thing, whatever. But there's a lot of us. Now oh, we're going to get mail from all the mice and horses out there now. Um, and the Vore fans. <laughs> oh, yeah. Vore fans, please don't write in. Mm-hmm. We love you. We we love you. We acknowledge that you're out there, but I don't really know that we would have much to say. I was going to say, we can theoretically come up with a topic for that, but I don't think that we want to, so we we shan't. Right. But we do have some other letters, and we should get into them. All right. So, hello there, Otter, Fox, and Wolf. It's little old Theorian, should you remember me, though I doubt you do. don't, Don't put yourself down like that. I was curious as to whether either of you had read the book Gone by Michael Grant. It is a magnificent thriller, the beginning of a series, in fact, an odd tale of a place torn apart when all adults disappear. Everyone above 15 is just, well, gone. This may well seem a bit an odd question, but I recently finished the third book in the series, Lies, and must admit my head is swimming with story ideas. So I must ask... After you've read a well-written book, does your mind often conjure up story ideas too similar to the book to be written out? Or, like me, do you simply slash the characters in your head? Your faithful listener, the elusive Black Panther. Does he mean slash as in like he wants to write slash fanfic about them? I, I think so. Okay. I also like how you said, you shouldn't put yourself down like that, but you didn't actually reassure him that we do remember him. <laughs> <laughs> I thought that was implied. <laughs> implied or implode? Um, we do remember Theorian, of course. I find, actually, it's, and I think I've talked about this before, but it's when I read stories that aren't as well written that I tend to get more story ideas because I kind of, I feel like, wow, that's almost a great story, and if you'd tweak it like this or if you would do that, then it would be so much better, and I could write that story. Um, after reading good stories or good movies, I get germs of ideas, but mostly they they end up being about the side characters. I mean, I'm inspired to write after I read something that's really good, but it's probably to write on something I've already been working on, and it's just the enthusiasm of creativity will take over. But yeah. I don't come up with new ideas, really. Well, like, for example, I was, I was watching an episode of a Sherlock Holmes TV show, 
and there's a part where the the old housekeeper finds a dead body, and it's you know her beloved employer in a rictus of fear and mm-hmm. all twisted up and whatnot. And so she was traumatized by it, and I just thought. Wow, that'd be a really interesting story because I wonder how that would affect someone's life to walk in and find someone, you know, in a horrible pose like that. And, yeah. you know, would you be forever scarred by it and so on? Bonus points for using the word rictus in such a casual, uh, you know, turn of phrase, by I, the way. I admit I stole it from Conan Doyle from the written version of the story. Well, yes, but you didn't, you didn't stumble over it like you were saying anything awkward. Oh, I try not to. All y'all listeners, if you don't know what that means check a dictionary look it up dictionary.com <laughs> so yeah i kind of i get more i get more uh compelling ideas from reading mediocre or poorly written stuff because i can often see where it could be better or it gives me ideas for you know i want to write this but i want to do it different <laughs> so one of my friends who does comic art after the comment about but I want to do the generic wolf teen wakes up, examines himself in the mirror, and then drags himself off to school to meet the gay love of his life. He was talking he's like, I want to do that in a comic because it would be so meta to have the scene where he gets up and looks into the mirror so you know what he looks like. But it's a comic book, so you already <laughs> can see what he looks like. And then have like the voiceover of him like, I'm five foot ten <laughs> It's like, wow, I look good, like, talking to himself in the mirror. <laughs> which would, uh, which would be, be hilarious, awesome. and would only work on furries. <laughs> yeah, unfortunately, it seems like it would be a little, a lot of effort to put into something that would essentially be a, a joke, And but, you know, yeah. there's people that would do it. I don't think he would actually do it, but I can believe that he thought it. I, I'm, I'm having fun imagining it. Um, so, I'm... Um, I, I do have to say I do have to say that uh, your mind does go to slash fan fiction sometimes. Only sometimes. Sur- surprisingly, not as often as I bet you're thinking it does. I was just thinking of the recent example. Well, but. The, well you gave me so many recent examples, like all in one thing. It's like I want you to have sex with you. I want you to have sex with you. It's just like ah, oh, yay. So you heard it here first from Cam Hirsaki. There's not enough sex in Out of Position Two. Uh. I didn't say that. There could stand to be more, but I can stand to keep it in my head where it will be perfect. I think you should write it. I think you're going to have listeners asking for you to write some slash fiction uh, sometime. I don't know if I want to write that or if I want to write my histy fanfic. Oh, you should write that too. Although I think you would make him more gay than I think he actually is. Well, no, 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 because it's the histy fanfic about the histy fanfic. Oh, right, right, right. Now that's meta. But hopefully that answers your question. Really, um, and I'll say parenthetically, when people would read my books and write to me and say, you've inspired me to go write, uh, I often didn't know how to take that because my experience was that I was most inspired to write when I read something that I thought was mediocre because I wanted to be able to do it better. But I've since talked to people like you, and and I've had this experience (laughs) too, where when you write something that's well done, it just inspires you like wow this person told a great story i've got stories that i want to tell and i just want to do it and you know every time i go to conventions or 
you know, Kit and I went out to a little art show this weekend. I just feel inspired watching other people create stuff. Like, yeah. I, I just, I want to do something. It's the furry convention effect. I mean, right. it's the same exactly. thing. exactly. Well, I mean, if it was the case that, like, good fiction was just that humbling, like, as soon as I was done with Cloud Atlas, I would have set the book down and be like, okay, I'm done. I'm never writing again. <laughs> because I can't top that. Oh, yeah. Well, that's, that's certainly true. And we're very glad, by the way, to... Welcome Atari to the fold of Cloud Atlas fans. Yes. We finished it a few weeks ago, I think. One by one, we'll get furries to read that book. It's it's on KTEC's list. He said he's promised he's going to read it by the end of the year. So we're going to hold <laughs> him to that. Spoiler, there aren't animal people in it, but that doesn't mean you shouldn't still read it. There, there are kind of. Oh, yeah, kind of. I wouldn't Just call it kinda. a furry book, though. It's not, well, no, it's not a furry book. But no. Anyway. We should move on because our next letter is a tome from our friend Kaz, who uh, we think about as uh, Feral approaches because we had a fun time with him last year at Feral. Oh, did you? <laughs> you can take that however you want. Fanfic. <laughs> Kaz writes, Greetings, crafty canids and orgiastic otter. It's been a while since I've written constructively into the podcast, and in fact, a while since I've written anything at all. Today I felt like ending that streak, so here I am. I've got a couple questions for you all. First is a quick question. How much simile or metaphor is too much? It's one of the earliest learned artistic tools of writing and is ubiquitous in fiction. However, I find myself wondering, at what point does it turn into a wonderful painting of a scene... I'm sorry, at what point does it turn a wonderful painting of a scene into self-indulgent snobbery? Now and then, I find myself wanting to throw a metaphor into my writing, but not having a clear idea of what exactly to compare the given situation to. Is this a warning sign I shouldn't be using one at all? Is it the scene in written form creating a whole that demands a metaphor, or is it only when an evident similarity appears that room should be made for its mention? Sorry, I'm rambling now. I think you should always strive to fill holes, honey. My next question is a bit more convoluted. Today I picked up an old volume of Heat and found a story in it I never got around to reading. I proceeded to correct that error and was rather struck by the particular story. I agonized quite a while whether or not to name which story it was. I decided I will. Missing by Scout McIntyre. Uh, which is a very good story, actually. I like that one a lot. Yeah, I like I like the art that goes with it, actually. Yeah, I do too. Yeah, with all the sketchiness. It wasn't really anything specific I could identify that got to me, and more startling to me was that it wasn't the plot. There was just something about it, a certain je ne sais quoi, that really swept me into the story and made me feel like I was seeing part of a world already in progress instead of a staged production. Incidentally, this is something I've felt from both Kyle and Hirosaki-san's works on occasion, but only in the very rare segment of my own, never the result of deliberate focus, let me assure you. So the point I'm trying rather laboriously to get to, and subsequently suck on, here is my question. What, in your opinion, separates a really good story from a fantastic one? What are the little things, or big juicy things, that bring writing to life? And finally, how does a mortal like me learn them? Anyhow, I have decided that writing is something that I'm willing to give more effort than I'm usually known for. In your last non-otter flustering episode, Foos gave me some real food for thought with his remarks about writing for praise. After some introspection, I realized with shame that that is pretty much what I've been doing. My goal of having my name on a book had at some point superseded the original motivation, making people feel what I felt today, reading that story. The original motivation remains, and I have brought it again to the surface. Teach me, O oh senses, and I shall strive to learn. My apologies for the monolithic email. Cause, muzzle stuffer. So first of all, 
Um, you should go and read XKCD from the past week for your simile metaphor mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, lesson. I forget which one it was exactly, but... Um, that was Mondays, I think. Was it Mondays? Yeah. July 5th? Yes. So, yeah, go back to Monday, July 5th and look at XKCD. As far as when to put them in, it really it really depends on the tone of the piece that you're writing. If you're writing a, kind of a genre fiction piece, a science fiction adventure or fantasy, epic fantasy thing or a mystery or whatnot, then... There's not a lot of place for metaphor in those. The leaf floated across the surface of the pond in exactly the same way a bowling ball wouldn't. Right. (laughs) And I should say, by the way, that Douglas Adams has used that once, and now nobody else should. Right. But But you can use an extended metaphor, or which then becomes kind of an imagery or theme. There's a book that uh, so full of press put out called Scars, which was set in the Iron Claw world, in which the main character's sword becomes a metaphor for his situation. Mm-hmm. Like the sword is a family heirloom, and his, it's very important that he wield the sword and all that, but he starts to realize that the situation his family's in is not the one that's going to make him happy, and throughout the adventure, the sword gets battered and then polished and then broken and fixed and and whatnot and it's very nicely done so that you can see I, I don't even know if i would call it a metaphor except that it is pretty clearly linked if you look through the text yeah i just finished reading a book called palimpsest which is also very good uh and one of the characters he's like obsessed with the works of saint isidore and like Everyone in his life, he associates everyone with an animal, and he sort of like assigns an animal. Because there's one where like, or she's like an eel. So like everything she does when things are like done through his point of view is like described in like you know these terms. And the whole thing is like you know his wife is just a chimera because he can't make sense of his wife. And it's like she's just like all these different things. And I think that's actually kind of a cool bit of imagery there. And that's cool. And that's a great that's a great yeah. use of metaphor actually too. Yeah. Simile. The the th- sim- metaphor took me a while to understand. Similes yeah. are pretty easy because it's a direct construction. You know, the the otter slid down the slope like a greased banana. <laughs> I said that just to make you laugh. Like a fox at a strip club. Um, but metaphor is more using the words that you would describe one thing in order to describe another. And making the comparison less explicit. That reminds me of one of my friends was talking about this one fantasy book he read, and they get to a sex scene, but it's all obliquely referred to, and there's like all this stuff about like uh, cannons firing into valleys, and he's just like he is like I got to the end of this, I'm like, wait, did they just have sex? <laughs> he was like like 16 at the time, and he's like, I th- I think they just had sex, but they didn't actually say that. And I can only imagine it was probably a terribly written scene, but I, I can imagine. I think you just that's an example where you don't want to use metaphor. Well, you can. Well, not not to that not to that extent. extent. You don't you don't want the metaphor to conceal what you're actually writing about. Yeah. Um, the thunderclouds galloped across the sky is an example of using a metaphor. So you're you're likening the clouds to a herd of horses, and it gives people an image of the way the clouds are moving. Right. And everybody's kind of, well, hopefully, I don't know, maybe some people haven't lived in the Midwest or 
south area, but you've seen out on the plains the clouds just shooting across the sky like a you know like horses galloping. So as opposed to the northeast where they just appear out of goddamn nowhere and just yeah. start dumping rain on you. Just, Bam! It's a storm. <laughs> oh hi. Oh, now we're gone by. <laughs> um. So I think, and you know, the, there's as far as what's too much. You're going to find an audience for all levels of it. There's people that just want everything layered in metaphor. They want their metaphors to have metaphors and, you know. Again, look at XKCD. <laughs> right. Similes you, you'll get tired of because the construction's much more up in your face. Yeah. But, you know, it depends on your audience. I would say for genre fiction, be a little sparing with the metaphors because mostly in genre fiction, people want stuff presented a little more plainly. But... You know, do do what makes you happy. And if you can't think of a metaphor for something, that doesn't mean you shouldn't put one in. It just means maybe you need to spend a little more time looking for the right comparison. He was tired of using similes like a prostitute was tired of looking at cocks. <laughs> All right. And as far as what makes a great story fantastic... I, I've, You know, I was thinking about this, and I sort of liken it to... When you're watching a movie and like when the editing is really good, because that the, if the editor has done their job, you don't notice. And so it's just sort of like, it's similar to that, where it's like, I think that, you know, when he says like that, je ne sais quoi, it's just like, yeah, like if you can't put your finger on it, then that's probably a good sign that they did something. And if you don't see how they do it, then the writer has done their job that, you know, there's not this transparency behind what they did. Well, I'm going to tell you my take on it. Okay. And this is the this is uh the secret to fantastic books from my perspective as a writer and as a reader. I think from a writer's standpoint, the stories of mine that I've felt the most happy with, the most confident with were the ones where the characters felt the most real to me. And whether that was through inspiration or whether that was through the work of sitting down and trying to get to know them better, thinking of them as real people, um, I couldn't say. But I think if you polish your technical skills so that you can render the stories properly and then take the time to really learn your characters, learn the world so that it all becomes second nature and it feels... And a lot of writers say this, that it feels like not so much that you're making up the story, but that you're recounting events as they happen. I think if you get to a point where you can have that feeling, that is a big step towards creating a much better story, a much more immersive story, something that's going to capture people's imaginations, yeah. that's going to be engaging. And that's not the same thing as having the writing of the story being effortless. Right. I mean, it's... It's not always effortless. Yeah. Because, I mean, you're still, your first draft may feel effortless, but then you're going to go back through and edit, and we just spent a whole episode going over three paragraphs that, you know, the writing was competent, technically competent, was, um, used good construction and stuff, but you look back and you have to be able to rearrange all that stuff to find out how best to convey what you're feeling. And I think the other thing that you need to have is a real clear idea of, where the story's going. Like yeah. what like you talk about and actually I want to congratulate you for your the closing of your letter too. 
you want to make people feel what you feel. Yeah. And I think that's something that a lot of people lose sight of when they're writing stories. A lot of people just say, I want to tell a story where a couple, you know, a fox and a skunk have a lightsaber battle because the lightsaber battle in Star Wars was cool. And they don't have a particular feeling associated with it. They just want to tell the story that has a cool image behind it. I think if you have realistic characters, an immersive world, and you have a strong feeling that you're trying to convey in other words if you have that more that much stuff driving you forward to get this story written and edited and done i think that makes for a great book yeah like in the story that i just posted online a little while ago uh not to spoil things for people who haven't read it so i'll refer to it obliquely uh but there's this one scene where i was writing this conversation and one of the characters said something and then I realized, like, the other character on the other end of this conversation, I'm just like, it's like, I hadn't planned on putting it in there. I'm just like, he would just break down crying upon hearing that. And I just looked at the scene, and I'm just like, I wasn't expecting it to go this direction, but that's absolutely what should happen, you know, based on what was just said. And I thought about it. I'm like, well, does this work? And I'm just like, yeah. And I'm like, actually, this works better than anything else I would have had in mind for this conversation to go. And I kept it in there. And I think that that sort of really sets the tone for how the rest of the story goes after that. Mm-hmm. And, and this is just as a recent example. I'm not saying, you know, hold me up as your example of what makes a good story great. That's not what I'm trying to say. I'm trying to say that, like, that's a good sense of, you know, making the reader feel what you feel. Where and, you know, that that surprised me. And I, and I was actually a bit like, whoa. Like, I would have, like, this, like, emotional thing of, hey, this is actually really rough. And I hope that the people who read that got that as well. And I think at least a few people have. And I, and I think a lot of writers have had that moment where the mm-hmm. characters, they they get a sense for how the characters are going to behave that did not follow what they had expected because the characters have become real upon the writing of the story. Right. And I know I've gone back to the beginning of novels and have changed characters significantly because the characters have developed over the course of the story into something different than I had in mind when I started out because they weren't real enough to me at the beginning. And then I'll read back at the beginning and I'll be like, oh, well, that doesn't fit them at all. Yeah. I won't ramble on about Summerhill, but that's something I'm specifically going to address in this journal post. I keep talking about how I'm going to write. Right. And uh, last thing, because we'll wrap this up and then uh, move on, but it was a good letter. We appreciate that. Good to hear from you again, Kaz. Um, There have been stories I've written where I've not been I I know that I've not been as emotionally involved with the characters because you just you, if you write you know a dozen short stories every year and a novel every year you you can't get emotionally involved with all of them at least I can't but when I write stories like that and I ask for feedback on it people will be they won't say it felt less engaging or it felt less you know, immersive or whatever, but they'll find little things and their responses will be just slight, a little bit less enthusiastic. And I associate that with, you know, I'm trying to make up this character and write a story about her as opposed to, I have to write this story about this character and I know exactly who this character is and where he's going. And, and this is the story I want to tell. Yeah. So, but thank you for the letter and yeah. best of luck with your continued writing success. Our next letter here. Dear Kyle and KM, 
I just listened to Unsheathed number 38, and on the subject of podiocast, there's one idea of incorporating audiobooks into the podcast that I'm surprised you didn't mention. Preview chapters. I know of at least one writer, Spider Robinson, who maintains a podcast and previews audiobook adaptations of his works, often read by himself, on the air. Given that you've posted preview chapters of your novels online, it shouldn't be too fundamentally different to preview a chapter or two of an audiobook in the podcast. It's just a thought I'd pass along. I love the podcast and keep up the good work. Your loyal fan, Mythic Fox. Well, as it turns out... Actually, I'll let you tell this. Well, hi, Mythic Fox, For <laughs> first of all. Um, hi, Mythic I, Fox. I actually did that. Yes. I recorded the first chapter of the latest draft of Out of Position 2, and we put it on the Unsheathed Presents Volume 2 audio DVD, which was on sale at Anthrocon. Will be at say uh, will be for sale at Comic Con and will be for sale at Rocky Mountain Fur Con as well, and at Rainforest, and at Midwest Fur Fest. That's I think all this year. Yes, I'm not sure there's any other major cons of. this year. There's Fur Fright, but we're not going to that. Yeah. So I've never been yeah, to Fur Fright. We've, we've started doing that. I, I could see you know when you have the next draft of Summerhill ready, I could see you reading the first chapter of Summerhill. <laughs> I've been thinking about that, but then I think people would like hear it and just be like, "What?" <laughs> or you could read a preview chapter from the middle of Summerhill. I was thinking that actually, but I think it, it, in a bizarre way, it would almost make more sense to read something out of context because yeah. it would it would put you in the right mindset. Like I have no idea what's going on. I'm like, good. Now you know how I feel. <laughs> yeah, and uh, kid had actually asked me if I wanted to read a chapter from the middle of Out of Position Two, but the book is so sequentially. Yeah, timeline driven. That I didn't think that would work as well, but I think it would work for Summerhill. It might. I have to consider it. So, thank you for the suggestion, Mythic Fox. We're already on it, and we have one more note that I wanted to read here. This is from Atari, who had written us an email, which we did not read in this episode, but he wrote this as an addendum, and he said. I would be more than happy to throw myself into Condrell's offer as well, an offer to edit pieces of writing people want looked at. Uh, so that's Atari Otter. And how would people... He did not actually specify how people would contact him, uh, but I believe he's on FA. Yeah, his FA is just Atari Otter, all one word. So A-T-A-R-I Otter on FA. Poke him there if you want him to edit your stuff. And Atari, if you want to give us some other contact info, let us know and we'll... Post it up with the podcast give notes. Shouts for fellow otters with Japanese names. Yes. What does Atari mean? Atari is in the. It's sort of a. It's a, it's a verbal noun. It's sort of like. It almost means like on target. It's not like verbal kint. No. Like Atari is like, yeah, like like on the mark. All right. Well, we hopefully he is on the mark. Yeah. It's also uh, a video game company. Well, yeah, we know. <laughs> we know that. Those of us of a certain age will never forget that association. Yeah. Well, thank you all for writing in. We have uh, our FA account unsheathed. We have our Gmail address where you can address future letters to us or to our guests. Yes. Which is unsheathedpodcast at gmail.com. All one word. I am Kyle Gold on LiveJournal and Twitter, and just Kyle on FA, if you want to follow my stuff, K-Y-E-L-L. And I'm just K.M. Hirosaki on all those, K-M-H-I-R-O-S-A-K-I. And 
we'll have some stories. I'll have a story in the Camp Farrell con book, although I will not be there, sadly. Uh, I will have a story in the Rainforest con book, and we will be there. Yes. And I think that is all we've got coming out the latter half of the year. I've, uh, I don't have I mean, anything. Besides I can what un- we put online, I'll, yeah, I'll no. have a couple stores up online. I don't have anything I can announce yet that I think is in the works. I've had people ask me for things, but I haven't been able to fully commit yet. Okay. Well, we, we will. Vague and nebulous. Ooh. Oh yeah, I think I'm part of that vague and nebulous thing too. I was remarking to Kit that I'm part of like three or four secret projects. So whenever people say, uh, "Talk about your secret project," I'm like, "Which one?" Yeah, which one? I've got a couple of my own. But the fact that I'm talking about Summerhill at all is kind of bad of me. If you keep listening to the podcast, the secrets will be revealed in time. In time. So, thank you like again. Like clouds galloping across the sky. Like clouds galloping across the sky. <laughs> uh, keep using the metaphors. Keep writing. Keep muzzle stuffing. And uh, good night.